everybody. I'm Pastor AJ Houseman, and welcome to Shit They Don't Tell You on Sunday, a podcast dig d- deeper into aspects of the Bible that get glossed over or totally ignored in most preaching. The Bible has a lot of parts that are racy, uncomfortable, and sometimes downright horrifying. Let's talk about it. Well, welcome to episode 27. Um, today, our guest is Pastor Kelsey Brown, who is the pastor of Jehu's Table in Brooklyn, New York. Glad to have you here. It's good to be here. Um, like you said, my name is Kelsey Brown, and I'm the pastor of Jehu's Table in East New York, also known as Brooklyn, New York. Um, I'm a Black queer native New Yorker uh, who loves social justice and advocacy, spoken word and dance, uh, show tunes and laughing so, so loud that mm-hmm. people stare at me on the subway or uh, walking to the church or just gabbing with friends. I am constantly just a little bit too loud. <laughs> well, you're in good company here. I think 90% of my guests, I have to like tell them, be like, listen, I need you to use your outside voice um, because Ooh. then that's less editing that I have to do because I'm just substantially louder than everyone else that's ever around. Um, except you. I will say that is true. When we are in the same room together, it is a, it's a loud place. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. So I, will you tell us a little bit about uh, Jehu's Table, this um, this community that you serve in East New York? Oh, yeah. So Jehu's Table um, is a redevelopment uh, congregation of the Metro New York Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Um, it is a longstanding African descent Lutheran church. So we worship a super diverse population, primarily of Black and Latin folks in the Brooklyn area. Also, we have a huge Afro-Caribbean and Caribbean uh, and Native African population, and it is such a ball Mm. to be in a space that is so diverse, uh, very similarly to the congregation that I grew up in, in the same synod. Uh, We're named after Jehu Jones, who was the first African descent Lutheran pastor in the United States. He was treated pretty poorly. He was not paid for his work. He was ignored repeatedly by the uh, other congregational leaders of that time. And therefore we commemorate the place that he has built for African descent Lutherans in the United States by worshiping uh, and making a lot, a lot of noise at 2424 Linden Boulevard. Nice. Yeah, that, um, you know, you bring up a, a good point too, um, that like one, I think that one of the really, really big things that the Lutheran church has got to work on um, is definitely, I think, owning some history and also how do we, how do we make a more welcoming space, um, especially to African descent um, folks. And I think that that's something that like, we still kind of suck at. So um, I'm like really super, um, I don't want to say like blessed, but I, uh, but, but I am that like, um, that, that you're there. Um, and also just to like, to know you and, and have you as a friend, um, and all of the awesome, uh, justice work that you do do. Yeah. The, uh, the primary focus of my advocacy and justice work is for LGBTQIA plus folks, uh, not only in the New York area, but across the country explicitly in the church. I serve on the board of directors for Extraordinary Lutheran Ministries, which is one of two LGBTQIA advocacy organizations Mm -hmm. that partner with the ELCA um, and tons of anti-racism and racial justice work, both synodically and just in my personal life, marching and advocating for Mm -hmm. folks like me. Yeah. Well, thanks for, for joining us today. Um, and you know, to, to hear a little bit about what's going on up there and and with you, and then also to, you know, talk about the Bible. (laughs) Well-versed. Well-versed. Shall we? Yes. Let's dive in. All right. So we're going to talk about, um, what will be the gospel lesson for Sunday, October 10th, for those that are going to church. Um, it is Mark chapter 10 verses 17 to 31. 
Um, and today I'm going to read from the Common English Bible. So I like to, you know, switch it up, go back and forth sometimes. All right. As Jesus continued down the road, a man ran up, knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus replied, why do you call me good? No one is good except the one God. You know the commandments, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't cheat, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he responds, I have kept all of these since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. He said, you are lacking one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But the man was dismayed by this statement and went away saddened because he had many possessions. Looking around, Jesus said to his disciples, it will, it will be very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. His words startled the disciples. So Jesus told them again, children, it is difficult to enter God's kingdom. It is easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. They were shocked even more and said to each other, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them carefully and said, it's impossible with human beings, but not with God. All things are possible for God. Peter said to him, look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, I assure you that anyone who has left house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or farms because of me and because of the good news will receive 100 times as much now in this life, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and farms, and in the coming age, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. So there's a really, really famous thing that Jesus says in here that I think like, even if you never go to church um, or maybe even aren't even Christian, you have heard someone quote Jesus saying this. Am I right? That it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven or to have eternal life. A little bit different, I guess. What do you think? You know, the first time I heard this text, I asked my mom and dad, how big do you think a camel is? <laughs> I, I think I was a little unsure of why that was the animal that was chosen, if only to acknowledge that camels were an animal uh, that the readers of the early scriptures would understand. Oh, I understand that a camel is about this size. So when I started to preach this text, I would change the animal. Nice. Like I would be like hippo, which is my favorite animal, uh, or like grizzly bear, just trying to switch up maybe a modern day idea of what yeah. this means. But well, something think, more applicable, like where you're at, right? Like that makes, oh, yeah. you know, that makes a lot of sense, you know, like if you're I, you know, in Metro New York and have never seen a camel, then you're like, I don't, is that hard? Is that difficult? I don't understand. <laughs> um, I was well-versed in like sewing and needlework. So I knew that the eye of a needle was very small. Um, and I think that's what we're kind of getting at, right? Is like, I take the subway in New York City every day. If I have a big backpack full of all of my things, it is very difficult for me to get through the turnstile <laughs> of the subway, right? Um, I think that this text, without talking about camels and eyes of needles, gets at the crux of, if you have too many things that are weighing you down that separate you from God, then by releasing yourself from those things, you can fully just 
hop through the turnstile, swipe your card real quick and not miss your train, but that you can also make room to inherit the riches that God will provide at the end of the age. Right. Mm. That like if we have too if we don't have enough room in our pockets, we can't carry any more stuff. Yeah. I think that's what this text is getting at. And very frequently it is used specifically the portion about the camel in the eye of the needle to talk about wealth. Um and wealth in regards to riches, not just wealth for the sake of having wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that means a little something to us in a world filled to the brim with the capitalist idea of more, 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 more. Yeah. No. Yeah. We very much um, are, are built on, I think it goes, you know, you can kind of look back through tracing through um, even just the founding of, of our country. And, and before that of when um, settlers were coming, right? Like this was the, this was the new world where there's land of plenty and opportunity um, and there's more to be had, right? Like you can, there's always more. Um, and so, you know, this idea has then shaped and, and, and morphed, um, you know, throughout the ages um, to look like what it does today, um, where we just have like the, you know, I think of the wealth disparity gap that we have um, that like, how, how much like the, the rich getting richer, right? And then the poor are, are getting poorer. Um, and, and so I, I think what, you know, sort of Jesus is tackling here is, is a difficult, uncomfortable conversation for many of us um, to have, right? Um, because um, I, I think, you know, there is, there is that, that sense of possessions. Um, but if, if we do just want to like, just take the money side of it, you know, we all have a relationship with money. Um, and so I think like Jesus makes everyone uncomfortable when he says these type of things, because like, who do you identify with in the story? Like, is that, is that me? Am I one of those people? Mm. Mm-hmm. It's so true because growing up, I grew up very middle class in white suburbia, USA, and I wouldn't have called myself rich. I wouldn't have called my family rich. Um, Then I went to seminary right after college, and I had no money, like no money like calling my mom to get money to eat or like to buy groceries. And it was the first time in my life that I was like, oh, I have, I have no money to my name. That is very, very difficult. And although I would not have considered myself poor because I had the ability to call my mom and say, mm-hmm. hi, give me money. Yeah. Um, I do acknowledge that like, there is an ebb and flow when you are not a billionaire or a trillionaire that comes with money. There is a time that maybe you have saved enough money to do something like buy a house or uh, get a car. And then there are times maybe even after we make those purchases that we are pinching pennies and kind of trying to make things fit together to then do some of the things that we need to do rather than we want to do. Mm-hmm. I also think it's incredibly interesting that congregations that I've served and, and been a part of uh, where there are members, specifically some of our houseless siblings who come to worship, who give from the very um, bottom of what they may have amassed in Mm -hmm. money. They may give their last dollar in the offering plate because they know the purpose of this text is that God provides and that there is nothing that is impossible for God to make a way out of. Mm -hmm. So they give knowing that God will in turn give back to them and perhaps not in this age, right? But in eternal life where the text says a hundred times as much. Yeah. 
my pastor always said when I was growing up, uh, there is no U-Haul that follows you to the cemetery. <laughs> you can have all the things in the world mm-hmm. while you're living, but you can't take it with you. And I think that the text is so poignant in Jesus in acknowledging Jesus's commitment to this person to say that without selling all the things that he had, without taking the risk to uh, trust in God over maybe the riches that he had um, amassed, that Jesus already loved him. Yeah, I, I do like that, that Jesus looked at him and loved him and then says this, right? That it comes from that that place of love first. Yeah. Yeah. But I think about, so, I mean, I say that is a tough question. And the thing that makes all of us uncomfortable when we think about like sort of our relationship and money and stuff, you know, is, is money bad? The person in me that doesn't want to live of the world, uh, says yes very quickly. Um, Money can tear apart families and institutions and churches and uh, people's lives, but money also provides in our capitalist society um, structure and for some meaning, right? Or uh, the ability to save and have things that may move us forward in the future. And it's a both and in good Lutheran fashion. Um, but I don't know if I have the answer. Yeah, I'm still just trying to figure it out. I don't know if I do either. I think about also, you know, sort of, you know, my, my own journey with money. Um, I, I think I grew up very similar to you in that like rural middle-class aspect of, of, the world. Um, and then like, as an adult trying to learn how to, you know, properly manage money comparatively to like, you know, debt and like, well, how much money does it take to get through like a graduate degree in college and like, you know, coming out with an extreme amount of, of debt and just, um, kind of figuring some of those things out. And it's sort of like some days, like, I really do feel like money is horrible. Like, you know, one of the biggest stressors in, in my life, right. Is money. Um, and trying to, to make it work and make ends meet. And also money is something that causes us, you know, a great amount of shame oftentimes. Mm. Um, it's something that like, we, we, you know, like you're not allowed to talk about, right. Like that's the thing, like no one ever like talks about it. Um, but, but I imagine that many people, you know, feel sort of that same way of, of feeling ashamed that like, if they can't do something or if they don't have enough money or, um, you know, I, for me, I always see like people, um, that are like, you know, way more generous than me. And I'm always like jealous. Like I want to be that generous. Um, but I, I, I don't have the ability to be and still like float. So then, so then what do we do with that? Cause the same thing, like when you said, when you felt in seminary is like, I don't feel like poor, right? Like, um, there's a difference. Like I, you know, you know, I still have a home. I still have a car. Um, I still have, um, there's going to be food on the table. And so I think for us sometimes, like, is Jesus inviting us to wrestle with what these relationships mean, um, more than to say, like, it's just inherently bad. Well, we know that Jesus needed money to fund his mission in the world, right? That in Jesus's active ministry, there was a very real need for money. Now, I don't know how many folks know how Jesus uh, got his money or uh, was funded money to continue funding his uh, mission in the world. But Jesus did a bit of fundraising uh, and received money from the folks in that society that had money, particularly women, particularly working women, um, sex workers, folks who had amassed some sort of money by being able to live and work in society. And for women, that was uh, very frequently a, uh, a way of 
gaining mm-hmm. money and, yeah. and stability within society. That doesn't mean that Jesus had so much money that he wasn't going around and making bread and fish come from the heavens. He didn't just say, go into the town disciples and buy whatever your heart desires. Mm -hmm. Jesus managed his money for the greater good of community in making sure that all people were fed, all people were listened to and had some sort of ability to gain respect, if not in their own societies, then with Jesus in community. And I think that's what Jesus is pointing us to in this conversation with the disciples is like, yeah, Peter, it's nice that you also gave away all that you had and came to do this thing. But acknowledging Jesus is not asking, it's actually very, very funny. Jesus is not asking the poor. He's not saying, oh, it's it, it will be very difficult for the poor to inherit the kingdom of heaven or, or to, to have eternal life. Jesus is saying this about folks who maybe are putting money as what they believe their salvation comes from. Mm. And that's where it turns the table as Jesus frequently does, is it's to say, you believe that these people, the people that have less wealth than you, have no way of entering into eternal life, but rather it is you. It is more difficult for you, hoarder of all things, uh, uh, servant to money and money alone, to get into heaven because money is your God. Well, it not seems God like the, the you know, that, you know, the disciples also then kind of are failing to understand that. And we don't know if that's the author trying to get us to understand it, you know, as, as, as the author in, of Mark genuinely d- usually does with the disciples, but that, well, well then who can be saved um, with this idea that mm-hmm. like, okay, well, these people, um, you know, they have lots of money. They're doing like, if, if they're sort of, you know, what maybe, winning quote unquote at life Mm. if they're winning right now like they're the ones that are on top um as as we see jesus will say the the sentence again you know the 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 last will be first and first shall be last thing um another way to kind of uh the words there that are used and in a translation you can use is that many who are the greatest now will be Mm. the least important then and the least important now will be the most important, the greatest then. Um, so if these people are the greatest, right? They're winning at life. They're in the top of their field. They're, um, you know, they, they have amassed this wealth. We, we assume earned, you know, in, in some way that like they're doing great, right? They're doing great at life. So if these guys who are doing great at life can't get in, well, then who can be saved? You know, um, it's kind of like they don't understand this this concept of like, no, no, um, Jesus isn't in any way. God's not, you know, it, it's not about what you earn or make, you know, in this life that it, that is not what judges the the worth of a person. And that is so the opposite of the current world that we live in. Oh, yeah. I, and I think that that's like, you know, that's the, that's the world, the way it's always been. I don't even know if it's, mm. if it's current or just like, this is the way things have, have always been, you know, I, and, and, you know, you talk about like, like I think of caste systems in India, but then also the caste systems that existed in, in other societies as well. Like, you know, even, you know, still today, like you can be born into titles that come with lands and riches and, and things like that. And then you can be born into nothing. Um, and, and that just is kind of the way that the human societies of our, our world has worked. Um, and I think those are the things that, that Jesus would be challenging. Um, and you were briefly uh, talking about this too, in a way that I, I, about the, the benefit of the whole community that dare I say, Jesus would argue for a socialist sort of structure. 
I think you do dare say, in fact, <laughs> and I agree with you. I had a conversation today uh, with my partner about the fact that when you're in communal living, when you are living as part of a community and not as an isolated being, that part of community is doing work together to benefit the community. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that work looks like going out and working a nine to five job and bringing home perhaps a hefty paycheck. Sometimes that work looks like uh, making things with your hands, gardening or tilling soil. Sometimes that work may look like cooking meals for the week, but all of those tasks are the same amount of work. Mm -hmm. That there's no hierarchy to say that the person who... uh, cooked the meals did not contribute to the family as much as the person that went out and worked a nine to five, right? That we are all working towards this communal goal, which is health and wholeness. Yeah. And if we remove the barriers that society, that capitalism has kind of trapped us under to say that I want to give so that my neighbor receives and I hope that my neighbor gives so their neighbor receives Mm -hmm. so that we might have a more equitable and just community or environment is not like a, it's not, (laughs) we're not reinventing anything. This Mm -hmm. has been happening. And I love that you pulled from this caste system idea or maybe this royal title idea of who gets and who receives or who has none and who was born into having some. And I know that this film is problematic. I am not acknowledging that this film (laughs) is not problematic, but I was talking with a friend recently and we talked about Pocahontas, the Disney animated version of Pocahontas, which is not only historically inaccurate, but also incredibly problematic. I say all of that to say that when the settlers, I would call them colonizers, but we can use whatever word you would like to use, came to America to find America, um, they come in search of gold. Right. In that particular film, they come in search of gold. They want riches so that they can bring them back to the country that sent them Mm -hmm. to colonize. As if the indigenous folks who lived on that land prior did not use money and bartering to enhance and experience a more lively community to be together with one another and to say, I have this and I would like to give you a little bit of what I have so that you might share with me some of what you have. That's been happening since the world was created. There have, there have been folks that have had something and other folks that have had another thing and they have wanted to share those resources. Mm-hmm. Even this text doesn't talk a whole lot about the actual idea of reciprocal sharing yeah it really talks about you've got a whole lot of stuff and these people don't have anything Mm -hmm. how about you give away what you have and then we'll all have eternal life doesn't that sound great I think it does I I mean like listen I I think it does too but I I think that you and I are probably always in a agreement on that one but um yeah I think this is very this is a very difficult sort of like if you're that person that on this side has a lot has more right um to bring to the table um I think sometimes you know when I think about like systems that we have in our country um around money like tax structures and stuff um that people that seem to have more um are the most upset about sharing what they have You know, I had to take a minute because it really frustrates me. It really, really does. I had a conversation with my mom who is just like your good old white boomer woman from a upper middle class Long Island family uh, about Jeffrey Bezos, his journey into space and the the race to space in in our time. Um, And she was elated. 
She's like, Kelsey, did you see what happened today? Did you see space? Did you see what's going on? And I said, you know, mom, I didn't because I chose not to watch the news today because I don't believe that when the world is burning to a crisp that anyone should be using their money and resources to go to space. And she said, well, he worked for his money, Kelsey. (laughs) And he should be able to use his money to do insert whatever is going on in the race for space. Why? Why have we, and I, I say we because at times I am complicit in this structure, is why have we decided that if you've begged, borrowed, and stole money, you've amassed this large amount of money, that you should be able to just frivolously spend your money however you want when people are starving, when, when, when hunger is reversible. When poor infrastructure is reversible, when mass damage from hurricanes and natural disasters is reversible, we can give our money to make sure that folks have the needs that they have met. And the fact that there are people in the world, trillionaires, trillionaires, let me with a T, trillionaires. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's wild. That is absolutely mind boggling to me. And I wonder perhaps what those among our society who have more money right now than I will ever have in my lifetime. What we're, I want to know what they believe of this text. Yeah. What they think this well, text is. So I, I think you're asking a good, like, age old question um, that why and and again i i pose this question why would it be their responsibility to use their money to care for other people Mm. Mm -hmm. because who's gonna i know i i just you know i think that like i think that like um uh that's that's the question right that that we run into and i think that that maybe even that could be part of of what this man in the gospel lesson is is struggling with right you know he's like listen i followed all the rules these were the rules these were the rules that moses set out i have followed all of the rules right um, cause that's, that's, you know, that's the way that they were taught. And I think even still today, and a lot of uh, what we see in Christianity is that we, you know, these are the rules, right? You got to follow all these rules. And if you follow all these rules, then you, then you make it. Um, and Jesus is like, mm, here's the deal. It doesn't, it doesn't quite work like that. And I think that's always a challenge is when Jesus kind of turns things on its, on its head like that. Um, but Jesus puts that on him, right? He puts that responsibility on this man. And I think that that's why, you know, this, this man gets sad is because he wasn't expecting that, right? He just needed to follow the rules to stay in his own lane. He didn't do anything wrong. So why now is it his responsibility to care for other people? So I would say it's because the gospel tells us to care for other people. Sure does. I mean, that it actually is this commandment yeah. that like the ways in which we honor and see one another as human beings on the planet matters to Jesus. But what it if you don't matters. care? I mean, but so, so what then is our, I, I even just like, I'm, I'm just, I'm just asking antagonistic questions now um, because <laughs> I always wonder this, you know, when I'm having these conversations with other people, if, if people don't give a shit about Jesus or what Jesus thinks or has to say, or says it all, um, you know, which may increasingly becoming more and more, especially of the rich, like uh, what, why would they care? I don't have an answer to that either. That's just the antagonistic question of, of the day and the age of like, how, how do we get people to care for the, the, you know, their, their common humanity? 
right? Um, so a, a, a thing, interesting thing that, you know, sticks, sticks out to me in this text when I was looking at the different versions um, and, and at the Greek um, is in verse 24. So in mm. verse 24, um, you know, it says that his words startled the disciples. So Jesus told them again, children, it is difficult to enter, the, enter God's kingdom. So something that appears in some versions of this, but not in either of the, either the New Revised Standard Version or the Common English Bible, which is the most common ones that we talk about on this podcast, it doesn't have this extra little sentence in there, um, which generally means, um, I, I did find one translation that had like a footnote that says, in some manuscripts, there's this addition to this line, um, which just for, for, people who maybe care about the different Bible translations. Um, <laughs> most likely what that means is that, uh, that it's not included in these, but it's included in some other manuscripts um, and is, is particularly because it wouldn't have been included in the Masoretic text, but it probably was included in the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek version of the Old Testament Bible, which um, often Anglican and Catholic translations that have come from the Vulgate version come from the Septuagint. So this Greek version of it, rather than the Masoretic text, um, which just has, has some additions to it. Um, and so some people don't think that like, oh, well, that's not like the most oldest genuine version of it. So it, it gets left out. Um, but I want to share it with you because I think it makes a big difference actually into what's, you know, maybe what Jesus is saying. So with this extra sentence, verse 24 would read like this. So Jesus told them again, children, it is difficult to enter God's kingdom for those who trust in riches. Hmm. And, and so I think about like, um, you know, it comes back to that relationship with money and like, where do you kind of put things and sort of like, if, you know, if, if this is to you greater than God or greater than, you know, if your religion is sort of money, um, you know, that, that you're one of those that, you know, you put your trust in riches, right? Like your trust, your faith, your, all of that is in money and not in and not in God, that that is now your religion. I think that like, that's maybe what Jesus is, you know, trying to call out a little bit. It's not necessarily about like, if you have money or you share it, but it's where, where is it that your faith truly lies? I mean, I, I think it's, I just am, I'm baffled that that piece is left out mm -hmm. because I believe that it says so much about exactly what you're saying is like, it's not about money. It's about your relationship to money. Yeah. And if money is God, then God can't be God. But if God is God, then money is not that like money is not going to be what gets you into heaven. My childhood pastor said, you don't bring a U-Haul to the cemetery, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't take it with you. So you might as well give it to the poor while you have the ability to. And then when you free yourself from the bonds that money has you trapped in, then you can come into the embrace of the savior right? But it's because of what is keeping you from God, as opposed to what you have uh, acquired, right? It's not that money in and of itself is the devil, or that money is the only thing that keeps us from God. The way that I've heard this text preached is purely about money, but there are many things that we put in the place of God. In the, in the world of social media, people put followers oh, yeah. and likes and comments and subscriptions over God. 
So I'm teaching an Old Testament uh, class this fall. And so we just recently talked about um, the, 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 the primeval history. So this is the, the mm. first um, 11-ish, 10-ish, 11 chapters of, of Genesis. Mm -hmm. um you know these are sort of like the the origin story as i as i like to say like it, it's the this is the story of and in every culture i want to be clear like the 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 bible's not the only one that has this it's not the you know the supreme ruler of origin stories right like their origin story actually meshed really well with the other origin stories of the other um civilizations around them um but we were talking about you know, what, what is the point of these origin stories that each culture has and, and the point of the, the ancient Israel's origin story of, you know, the, the explanation of, of creation and the explanation of how they got to where they were, the explanation of the flood and the tower of Babel, um, is their attempt to answer and come up with the answers to, you know, the big life questions, um, <laughs> or to explain their situation um right like they need to be able to um explain why it is that their life looks the way that it does and so um you know when we talked about sort of the story of the expulsion from the garden um mm -hmm. and then as we talked about the the story of the flood um and how people were getting too wicked and powerful so you know god destroys them and then the story of the Tower of Babel, where they're like, listen, we can build these big, awesome things and build our own way into heaven. And God destroys that um, is, you know, part of, I think, what they're attempting to to explain and to talk about is that, like, we are not godlike, right, that we have they're explaining their relationship and their dependence with, you know, with God. Um, and that part of that explanation is right. That like, anytime they get close to being godlike, you know, God takes them down a peg really. Um, and so for me, what, what that tells us is, is, you know, just this reminder of like the explain the human condition that we are human. We're going to die. We are not gods. We're not immortal. We don't have the never ending flow of of things that god does um and to just kind of like understand our position in the world so i think about I, I think about that with um you know sort of like the amassing of so much wealth that a person may start to feel godlike mm -hmm. right um and so when you keep you know you're saying like you, know, you don't get a u-haul when you die it's like no matter what, no matter like how godlike that you feel in this world because of all the money that you have, you're going to go to a cemetery with everyone else and take none of that with you. You are like, still so why not? not? God. That's it, right? So it's like, it's like your wealth is not providing me salvation. Jesus Christ is in the life-saving act on the cross. Mm -hmm. You can have money, that's cool. I don't necessarily think that you need 20 cars, but like, all right, weird flex. Uh, God is still the reason that I put my feet on the floor this morning. And that's my firm belief, right? Like, I'm not saying that that's where everybody needs to be, but I think that that's what centers me is like, it's not how much money I have in my bank account. It's not like the fact that being a pastor is a job that pays me a salary so that I can pay my rent and eat. That's, that's not why I do this thing. Yeah. That's not why I follow God. That's not why when I was a child, I would take my four quarters and my little baby offering envelope and put my little quarters in it and seal it up and give it back to God. Not because I thought that God needed my dollar but because I wanted to be a contributing member of the body of Christ mm -hmm. so that God could see that my mind was focused on God. Yeah. I think that that's what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to remind ourselves who we are and we are not money and we are not titles and we are not powerful beings who move and shake the world. In fact, 
God is God and we are not. And that is a good thing. Yeah. I don't because know I can't, power. no, yeah. I can't do what God does and I don't want to. Do you know what else? Um, I reminded me, um, with, uh, is in, in the movie Titanic, um, where like, you know, the rich guy is like, keeps slipping money in his pocket. Right. That like, Oh, you're going to give me a place on this boat. Right. And just keeps, you know, putting lots of money. And then towards the end of the, you know, towards the end, like, like when it's, it's finally going down and the guy's like, well, you saved my place. Right. And he takes the money and throws it back at him and says, your money can't save you any more than it's going to save me. Mm. you know right like you're on this sinking ship right what is that guy gonna do with the wad full of cash if everyone is is dying like i don't know grab a life jacket and help out oh <laughs> that I, I mean that stands in society today grab a life jacket and help out yeah. no one should be drowning in a world where there is enough money and resources to feed every person to clothe every person. Yeah. Like to house every person. Give someone a life jacket. You can put your mask, like put somebody else, put your mask on and then turn and help your neighbor. Yeah. There is no reason for all of us to drown. That's not what God delights in. In fact, so much so that after the flood, God sent the rainbow promise in the sky to say, I won't do that again. That's not the type of God I want to be. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you learn your lesson (laughs) and you act differently next time because God is a God that gives chances. God acknowledges, Jesus acknowledges in the text, this is difficult to understand. Yeah. This is hard work. But this whole like, following Jesus thing is hard work. It's Uh, not easy. Mm -hmm. And it's not just going to church on Sunday. It's caring for your neighbor. It's feeding the poor and clothing the hungry. Handing out life jackets. Lord, Lord. That's it. It's handing out life jackets. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right with like the, the metaphor of what like today, like handing out masks, handing out vaccines. Like there's just so much that you can put in that place right now that like, this is, you know, when you talk about the Uber rich and what they could possibly be do great. Why don't you purchase, you know, a million vaccines and send them to some of the poor countries in this, in this world. I don't know, just an idea of a thing that might maybe Jesus would be for that would follow this. Like, listen, we're in this together. Um, I've said this before on, on the podcast a, a few times and it's still true. You know, John three sixteen that Jesus, you know, God sent his only son to save the world. It's not you. It's not just humans. It's not just, if I pray hard enough, it is the cosmos. It is the entire world. And that includes all of us, but that also means that we have to contribute um, in a way that the whole world can be saved it's a communal thing, you know, uh, you know, a little more Disney. We're all in this together. Oh, wow. And we are. And some musicals just for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I <laughs> genuinely appreciate it. But I think that it's like, if we don't have each other, who do we have? Yeah. Mm. That kind of, that'll give you chills. It, I mean, it does though. Like, I people will not be able to see the shirt that I have on but I'm going to tell them what it says and it says until all are fed Mm. and it's a shirt for ELCA world hunger which commits uh, the organization committing itself or this working group to committing itself to feeding folks and it's like I won't stop doing this work until all are fed I won't stop preaching the gospel until all know that they are beloved of God, no matter who they are. I won't stop preaching against money over God until folks realize that until all are fed, until all are clothed, until all are housed, we've got work to do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that work looks like shutting your mouth, picking up a life jacket and making sure that your neighbor doesn't drown. Yeah. Hundred percent. Just a thought. I'd also like to, um, you know, just just while we're, you know, calling out the uncomfortable with money here, I like to call out like churches, Um, 
Uh, and, and, you know, I, this may not apply to your church, my church, any of the, the listeners church out there, but it does apply to some where, um, you know, churches have amassed money and there are pastors who have private jets and there are even, um, even on a smaller scale. So there are, there are churches, um, one in particular that, that uh, comes to mind is um, in a, a few different uh, kinds of uh, like African descent congregations where like it's important to them to like lavish the pastor. It's important to them that like the pastor has nice things. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, I wonder like what, how do we reconcile that, that here? Well, as the pastor of an African descent congregation, I would say I want my congregation to lavish me in love, Mm. in love, in love of neighbor, in like care and consideration for one another. And that private jets mean nothing to me if we those are the white i think all the those are white pastors that have that much they have the but i think but i think that that but i think that that's that's wild to me that i could look someone in the face and say you are this step closer to heaven if you give me this money (laughs) that's wild that's in fact the opposite of yeah. what Jesus said, not only in this text, but in Jesus's ministry lived out in the world. So I'm not really sure where the lines got crossed in that. Yeah. But it's evident that it has. I don't know how. I mean, even in the ELCA, right? The denomination, one of the denominations that we both serve in is like, why are there churches with like multi-million dollar endowment funds? That are like, oh, I guess we should do like a building reno. It's like, or you could go out into your community and feed everyone. Yeah. And not just feed them, but like give give people money so that they can live. I'm tired of the like, oh, well, we've got to feed people. It's like, or you could give them money. You could just give them money so that they can do whatever they need to do to survive based on the money that you have given them. Yeah. I think it is a, it is one of the things I'm most disappointed in, in the use of the gospel is, is the use of the prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. I just think that's the opposite of what Jesus tells us to do. And it's really, yeah, I, it's I really don't get it at all. Like to me, it doesn't make any sense. Like it's the opposite of what Jesus, I've, I've never understood the, the prosperity gospel because it doesn't make any sense. I honestly, I think it's just an excuse for rich people to tell themselves they're doing a good job. Like, clearly they must be doing a good job or else God wouldn't give them all this money. Which is wild because I thought being a pastor meant taking a vow of poverty. I thought I wasn't supposed to amass wealth. I thought that I was supposed to give because God has first given me. Mm -hmm. I, I had no idea that I was supposed to have like a Birkin bag and a jet. But like, if that's what we're doing here, like, I guess because capitalism reigns, like, I want that too. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that that's what's so difficult. I remember seeing an article uh, after one of the hurricanes of many as of late uh, that hit down in Texas. And I have a very close friend of mine uh, who is from the, the beach area of Galveston in Texas. And it was Joel Olstein. I'm going to call him out his name because he can get my email and we can exchange some words. <laughs> I would love he, that. If, if he would like to. Um, where he said he has a million, if not billion dollar building mm-hmm. and facility. And he said the church isn't a shelter. That's why he wouldn't open the building for folks that had been displaced. Churches are shelters. if if the church (laughs) isn't a shelter I don't want a part of it I was I was flabbergasted I was like the early church was meeting in locked doors for fears of the authorities and you have an empty million dollar dollar building billion dollar building that you won't let someone come into that has lost everything that they have had for no fault of their own 
But even if it was their fault, you're going to say, oh, the church is not a shelter? What? The church is four walls. It could be whatever it needs to be. Hmm. If that's what you're talking about, the building is four walls, but the church is everywhere. Woo! But I think even that counts as the like the possession, like what well, what possessions that we have, and how are we using them in service of the poor, of those that need them? This, you know, the the last, the least of these. That you know, recently Jesus has said that um, also again in another one of our recent gospel lessons. Um, and then he takes children and he's like, listen, the little children are the least of these. And, and that, that's the kind of thing that we should be doing is taking care of them and taking care of those that, that need it. And that's it. The need piece. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to learn the difference between need and want. Especially because of the household that I grew up in, especially because of the neighborhood I grew up in. Especially because the 90s, my parents thought they had it all and they were willing to do whatever they needed to do to make sure that I had what I wanted. And I thought that that's how I would live my entire life. And then my dad died when I was in high school and things had to change about our equity around money and how we were spending and what we were spending it on. And I looked at my mom on that first Christmas without my dad with tears in my eyes that I did not get the cell phone that I had asked for. I had already lost my dad. Why couldn't I get this $1,000 cell phone that I was asking for? People are not possessions and possessions don't save you. I think that We've all been convinced in some way that we need money to survive. We need wealth, not just money, to survive, when in reality, we need each other to survive. We need community, and we need the hunters and the gatherers and the menders and the fixers and the doctors and the nurses and the custodial staff, we need everyone to be the best we that we can be. And out of that need for everyone to have what they need, then we inherit a hundred times more because we serve a God of abundance. We don't serve a God of scarcity. God does not want any to be without. Mm -hmm. And I'll say that again, because I think it is necessary for us to repeat is God doesn't want anyone to be without. God is not sitting somewhere planning for bad things to happen to people. God is not sitting somewhere planning for Jeffrey Bezos to be a trillionaire and for people to be sleeping on the streets. God is not doing that planning. But we have the ability through our faith and trust in God to say, I want to do things differently. I want to buck the system. I want to remind capitalism that capitalism is not God. Mm-hmm. We, we have that ability. And whether it's through our faith or whether it's through just to our call to our neighbor, we can do those things if we do them together. That the sound of the many hushes out the shouts of of the the ones who have much. Mm. That's Mm. hard because we've been convinced that that's not the truth, right? That we can't change things, that we exist in a vacuum, and that some people have a lot and others have nothing, and that's the way that the world is going to stay. And that is not what Jesus wants for us. That is not the plan that God put into the world in the beginning of the age. It's not the truth. It's not God's dream, God's vision for the world, the whole cosmos. It's not the truth. But we know, and I know, I rest in the promise that Jesus is the truth and the life. Mm -hmm. Right? That's the truth I'm trying to figure out. That's what I'm trying to unearth 
trying to move the bullshit to the bullshit pile and to and to instead look at the full picture the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help me god amen Well, uh, thank you, Pastor Kelsey, for this just great conversation, um, tackling one of, I, I think, one of the, the harder topics that, you know, we, we kind of face in, in our life and in our world. So um, thank you for, for journeying through that with us today. Um, and everyone, well, you can look for us uh, next week for, for another um, awesome episode on Shit They Don't Tell You on Sunday. You can follow us on facebook.com forward slash Shit They Don't Tell You on Sunday. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts um, to hear about the the newest episodes and to stay up to date. Well, um, thanks for joining us and take care, everyone.